Hi, this is Caden, and this is my daddy's podcast called Lasting Learning. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hey, thanks for checking out this special podcast episode. You'll notice this one's a little bit different, as they all are recently. But in this episode, I'm going to take you on a trip. I'm going to take you on a, on a journey to one of my recent keynote presentations. At this keynote, I was sharing with a group of educators who were being challenged to bring technology into their classrooms to enhance what they currently do. This was a virtual presentation. Slides were shared, visual visual artifacts were being uh, displayed, which you won't be able to see as you listen to this. But don't worry, I think I do a pretty good job explaining what the images are all about, explaining what you can't see. So listen up, enjoy, and hopefully you'll learn how to focus on the focus. In just a second, I'll introduce uh, myself to you and, and let you know the focus of our conversation today. But the title of our session, Focus on the Focus, should be a good clue. Hopefully, with that title and your desire to sign up for this session, you understand that today we're going to be talking a little bit about priorities. We're going to be talking about how to identify the things that matter most. This is not one of those typical sessions that, that we might get when we engage in PD or a conference where I sit before you, I stand before you with microphone or computer screen and profess to have all of the answers. This isn't one of those sessions where, where I'm going to share with you three easy steps to transform your life and to transform your classroom. That's not it as all. I, I'm actually here for a much different reason. I'm here to remind you about your power. I'm here to remind you about your influence. I'm here to remind you that sometimes humility is the secret sauce. Sometimes understanding your gifts as well as your weaknesses are the things that allow you to grow. I'm a living, breathing example of that. I used to be the person that felt like he had all the answers. I used to be the person that would sit in a, in a professional development session, roll my eyes, doodle, daydream, check my email, scroll through social media, because I felt like the presenter didn't have anything of value to share with me. I felt like my classroom, my school was already high functioning and I didn't need anything. The reality is sometimes the bigger your ego, the smaller your influence. I used to be that person that would stand in front of my staff as a former administrator, as a speaker, as a consultant, as a coach, and share the answer to what was needed in everybody's classroom. How wrong I was. Again, sometimes the bigger your ego, the smaller your influence. Today, I'm going to be asking you to filter all of that. I want, I'm, my, I want to encourage you to avoid what I call conferenceitis. I'm going to encourage you to avoid the, the, the death by PD trap. Don't assume that just because I'm creating this video, just because I was in, invited to speak and to share, that I have any answers. I don't want you to assume that just because I have a doctor in front of my name or because I've been an administrator, I've been a classroom teacher, I'm in year 23 of my educational journey and I'm a veteran teacher, that I have any more answers than you. I want you to be able to push back. I want you to, to lean in. I want you to, to sift through what works and what doesn't work for you. 
And I want you to do the same thing with every single thing that you learn. Anytime you're exposed to something, I want you to sift through and say, does this have value to me? I want you to think about your unique skills. I want you to, to recognize that you are the expert of your domain. You are, you are the one that knows your kids. You're the one that knows your classroom. You're the one that knows your school. You're the one that knows your community better than me and better than anybody else. Embrace that. Lean into your area of expertise and challenge anything that's thrown at you, including what I'm going to share with you today. Don't assume that just because I have the mic that I have the answers. So let me just talk real quickly. Who am I? What do I do? Well, first of all, again, my name is Dave Schmidow. Right now, I am literally as far away from you in the state of Florida as possible. I'm actually a Floridian here in the Sunshine State, but way over in what some would call fake Florida or Southern Alabama. I am in Pensacola, the last exit on I-10 before you hit Alabama. That's me. I have four beautiful, incredible kids. My oldest child is a high school sophomore. My youngest child is in first grade. I also have a third grader and a fifth grader and an amazing wife that helps me manage all that, who helps me contain the chaos and helps keep me straight and focused. I, as I said, I've I'm been in education for a while now. In my time as an educator, I have been a middle school teacher. I've been an athletic director. I've been a dean of students. I've been an assistant principal. I've been a middle school principal. I've been an elementary principal. I've been an assistant superintendent. I've been a, a full college professor. And now I get to do this full time. I jokingly tell people that right now my job is like the farmers only of education. My job is to connect people, bring people together, steal ideas from one place and share it with another. I have worked in urban settings, rural settings, suburban settings. I've worked in Florida. I've worked in Michigan. And now I work with people all across the country. But don't let that fool you. Just because I've been in a lot of places, again, doesn't necessarily mean I've got a lot of expertise. It might simply mean that I've got very little value and nobody lets me stick around very long. Now, that could be the reality, but the reality is I have learned a few things. I've learned a few things on my journey. I've learned a few things that hopefully I'll be able to share with you today. So take some notes, sit back, reflect, ponder, pontificate, and hopefully, this session will make you a little bit better. So as we focus on the focus, we're going to be having a conversation today about how to really narrow our lens. How do we choose the activities, the, 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 the protocols, the practices, the programs that are best for us? Now, this conference is all about infusing technology, infusing new ways of doing things, enhancing our practice. Taking, taking new strategies, new approaches, new pedagogies, new programs, and using them in our classrooms and our schools to enhance instruction. But how do we determine which programs, which technology, which tools are right for us? I mean, we are overwhelmed with amazing resources. Something that's happened over the last 22 months is that we have been exposed to new things, things that we probably would have never been exposed to before had it not been for the pivots and the adjustments that we've had to make. The fact that we have so many devices, so much Wi-Fi capability, so many people sharing amazing ideas with us. We're learning and we're growing, but oftentimes we're finding ourselves extremely overwhelmed as well. I remember back in March of 2020, right when the, the pandemic started and everybody was shifting and adjusting. There was this open source um, Excel spreadsheet that went around sharing the best digital tools for teachers. In the first week, that spreadsheet had about 15 different tools on it. By the end of March, two weeks later, that open source 
Excel spreadsheet had been converted to a, a Google spreadsheet and it had more than a thousand resources on it because people all across the country were just adding their, their tricks, their tools, their platforms to give teachers new strategies, new tools, new things to use. And what ended up happening was we had, we had paralysis by analysis. We had a lot of people looking at this listing, that's too much. I don't even know where to begin. And so we began to, to laser focus, not necessarily on new ways of doing things, but on the old ways again, because we didn't know what to pick. And sometimes that happens even within our own districts and in our own classrooms. You all have amazing resources at your disposal. You have the entire Microsoft suite at your disposal, plus a lot of online tools, a lot of online resources. And sometimes those are extremely helpful. Sometimes it gets extremely overwhelming. Sometimes we fall for the trap that one tool is universal and should be used in every single educational setting. Sometimes we fall for the, the trap of saying, the way that I've done things for the last 25, 30 years is good enough. I don't need to try something new. Well, you all signed up for this conference. You all signed up to be here. So I'm assuming you've already embraced the idea that technology can be useful if it's used right, if it's used strategically, if you are able to focus on the focus and identify the right tool for the right time for the right purpose. So how do you do that? How do you know what to use, when to use it, and where to use it? When you're surrounded by options, how do you make the right choice? Well, one thing that we could do, we could go back 20 years when we first started learning about John Hattie. You know, John Hattie, that researcher from Down Under who did the huge meta-analysis. We studied close to 50,000 kids. We, we looked at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies and we created this meta-analysis, which is a study of studies, and identified of all of the things that people are saying works in classrooms, what are the things that actually work? And he created this, uh, this list of effect sizes, the, the classroom instructional strategies, the pedagogical tools and tricks that work most in classrooms, that work best, that have the biggest impact on students. We could just go back and look at that work and say what things work best in classrooms. And we could say having collective teacher efficacy, having teachers work towards common goals, having um, high student expectations that are clearly outlined and articulated, having RTI programs, having student uh, efficacy where, where everybody is working towards common goals and students know their, their goals as well, teacher clarity, feedback. I mean, we could go down the list and we could say, these are all the things we need to have in our classrooms. We could do that. We could say, we, we should be focusing on those more high yield strategies. But if you were to continue to go into that research, you would learn that it's actually none of these things in isolation. It's oftentimes a combination of these things that work best in classrooms, which is also great, but how does this support our use of technology? How does saying uh, feedback and collective teacher efficacy and having clear student expectations, how is that gonna help us choose the tech tools to use in our classroom? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. That is one approach though. Perhaps you wanna go a little bit deeper. Perhaps you wanna look at uh, 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 all of the tools that are currently available on your district website and just start randomly clicking things and exploring. You could do that as well, but that's not gonna give you the laser focus you need. Let me tell you a story real quick, a story that I hope sends you on the right path. It's a story about one of my athletic heroes, but he's probably a person that most of you have never heard of before. Now, I'm a runner. Uh, you might not be able to tell by, by looking at this face and physique, but I run every single morning. I run for, for therapy, for physical health, and for wellness. Now, my athletic hero is a man who is also a runner, but he is a runner of a much different caliber. This man's name is Iliad Kipchoge. Iliad Kipchoge is a marathon runner. Uh, a marathon, again, just to set, set the context here, 
for those people that have never run a marathon before. A marathon is 26.2 miles. I've heard people before say, I'm going to go run a 10K marathon. No, no, no. That's a 10K run. A marathon is 26.2 miles. Now, Ilya Kipchoge is the world's best marathoner. He's insane. As a matter of fact, just this past year, Ilya Kipchoge did something that the world thought could never be done. He ran a marathon in less than two hours. The two hour barrier in marathoning was the equivalent of like the four minute mile 50 years ago. Many of us know the story of Roger Bannister and how he broke the, the four minute mile barrier, something that people thought could never be done because of the way the, the, the human body is uh, physiologically designed. People thought there's no way the human body can run at a pace to break the four minute mile mark. Well, Roger Bannister did it. And for the last 50 years, people continue to chip away at that. And now we've got people running 340 miles. They're just insane. Well, Iliad Kipchoge did the impossible. Iliad Kipchoge conquered the two-hour marathon a plateau. So let me, let me get set, set more context to this. What does it mean to run a two-hour marathon? It means that Iliad Kipchoge ran an average pace of four minutes and 36 seconds for the entire 26.2 miles. Four minutes and 36 second miles. Again, greater context here. I run a lot. I've got a, a sophomore in high school, sophomore in high school who feels like he has all of the answers to all of the things. All you got to do is ask him and he'll tell you just how smart he is. Well, last summer, my high school son started talking some trash at home, started acting like he had all the answers to all the things. So being the, the dad and the man of the house, I challenged my son. I said, son, tell you what, let's go out to the high school track. We've got a, a high school that's about a quarter mile away from us. Let's go over to the track and let's just run a mile. If you're able to beat me in a mile race, I'm going to give you $100 and I'm going to shut up and not going to tell you anything to do for a week. All your chores are gone. You're not going to hear me nagging $100 and I'll stop nagging you for a week. However, if I win, I get your phone for a week. My son, big old ego said, you got it, dad. And the next day we showed up at the high school track. My three other kids had poster boards in hand saying, go dad, go beat camera. They're all cheering for me. My wife was out there with a stopwatch in hand. We're out on the high school track, getting ready to run our four laps to run a mile. My wife says, go. And we take off two laps in my son, my high school son grabs his leg and starts screaming saying, Oh, I pulled a hamstring. I pulled a hamstring. And he was quitting. He was, he was done. And he was acting like he was injured and hurt. Now that would have been the time for me to just finish two and say, Hey, it was a good race, but no, no, no. I had, I had to prove something. So I kept on going. I finished my four laps. I collapsed. I'm sweating. I'm dripping. I won. I'm victorious. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get my son's phone for a week. I turned to my wife and said, oh, what was my time? My time after going all out in an attempt to shame my high school son was six minutes and 50 seconds. Me running all out, a runner who runs every single day, 650 for one mile. Iliad Kipchoge, four minutes and 36 seconds for 26.2 miles. Insane. Absolutely incredible what this man did. Now, that's that's a cool story. You might be thinking, yeah, that's great, but what's this have to do with anything? Dave? Well, let me, let me show you another image because this is the image that I want you to focus on today. This is an image of Iliad Kipchoge as he was actually running the race. So when Iliad Kipchoge broke this record, he didn't just go out for a leisurely stroll one day. He had all kinds of setup. He had been planning for this for years. And he went out on race day and he had a few things designed. First, he surrounded himself with people that we, we refer to as rabbits in the running community. 
A rabbit is somebody that runs a portion of the race with you and they're there just to help set the pace. Iliad Kipchoge was constantly surrounded by six or seven rabbits. A person who would go out there and they would run that four minute, 36 second pace with him for a mile or two and then they would fall out and somebody else would jump in. They're there to help him set the pace and to buffer him from the surroundings and the distractions. More importantly, in front of him, he had a car that was designed to set the pace. It was set on the cruise control of running that same pace at four minute, 30 second, four minute, 36 second pace for 26.2 miles. And if you look at this image, there's something even more spectacular about this. On top of that car was equipped a green laser beam that shot down into the road directly in front of Iliad Kipchoge. The idea was that that green dot, that green laser was going to be affixed to Iliad Kipchoge's pace directly in front of him. All he had to do for 26.2 miles was just hit the dot in front of him. They knew even though he was buffered by rabbits, even though there was a car in front of him, that it could be distracting at times. It could be, you can get in your own head, you can stare at your watch, you can start thinking about all of the other things that are going on. So they put this green laser directly in front of him so that all Iliad Kipchoge had to focus on was hitting the spot directly in front of him. For 26.2 miles, step after step after step, all he had to do was hit the green dot. I think that's a powerful story. It's a powerful metaphor. As educators, we know that we are bombarded with distractions. We are exhausted. We're overwhelmed. We've got our circle. We've got our friends. We've got our PLCs and our, our grade level team that's buffering us and surrounding us and helping us set the pace. But right now, life is exhausting. One more thing can just get added on. We can feel like oftentimes teaching is like running this marathon. My challenge to you today and for the rest of February, March, April, for the rest of this year and the rest of your career is just hit the mark in front of you. Hit the green dot. Let that be your focus. I want you to just focus on your next step, not all the things, not the end of the line, not the big, scary FSA and end of the year test. Don't be focusing on what's going to happen to the kids that you're teaching right now in 25 or 30 years. Focus on the next step. Focus on that green dot. Today, we're going to be talking about how to identify your green dot, how to put that laser directly in front of you so that you can just focus on the focus, focus on that priority, focus on the next thing, not all the things the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, just one thing at a time. Today, that's our focus. I want you to have this laser focus on the green dot. What is your green dot? Let's focus on the focus. So I'm going to share with you really quickly a video, a video that I, I hope makes you laugh a little bit, but it's a video that could oftentimes um, well, let me, let me just, I'll, I'll share. Let me stop my screen real quick, just so you can see me. When you watch this video, you're going to chuckle. <laughs> you're going to laugh. But I want you to think about as well, how does this relate to your educational journey? How does this relate to so many of the other things that are happening in schools and today? When you watch this video, I want you to think, how often do you feel just like this man? Well, Matt, you've come a long ways and had a couple of close calls a few times, too. Yeah. But here we are at the final question. If you answer correctly, you'll walk away from here with $1 million. Now, what will you do with the money? You and your wife, Whitney, won a charity. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Is she here? Where is Whitney? Hi, Regis. Whitney, what will this money go towards? Uh, we're planning to build and supply orphanages in third world countries. Well, that's very noble of you two. But let's see if Matt and his orphans are about to become millionaires. 
All right, Matt, here is your question. Who was the 26th president of the United States? Was it A, William McKinley, B, Theodore Roosevelt, C, William Howard Taft, or D, George Washington? I'm not sure, but I know it's not George Washington. Maybe Roosevelt? Would you like to ask the audience? Yeah, let's pull the audience. All right, audience, time to weigh in. Who was the 26th president of the United States? Let's see what they said. Wow. Literally 100% of our studio audience feels the answer is D, George Washington. Yes. I'm sorry, everyone, but I, I don't think that's correct. Are you positive? Yeah. Well, it's a bold choice to go against numbers like that. Mm-hmm. But George Washington was the first president, so he really couldn't have been the 26th. Well, your wife was one of the voters, Matt. <laughs> Are you sure she got it wrong? Well, I, I, I'm sorry, honey, but I don't think that it's George Washington. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, would you like to phone a friend? Yes, my sister Mallory is a professor of history at Stanford, so... Well, let's go to the phones. Hello, is this Mallory? It is. Mallory, hi, this is Regis. I'm with your brother Matt. He's going for a million dollars, but he needs your help. Uh, okay, what's the question? Okay, Mallory, who was the 26th president of the United States? Is it A... George Washington. What? <laughs> no, let me give you all the options. No, I don't need the options. It's George Washington. Final answer. <laughs> no, Mallory, George Washington was the first president. I need to know who the 26th president was. I heard you, and I'm telling you, it's George Washington. Well, he was a founding father, and he fought in the revolution. Yes, and to honor him, they made him our 26th president. <laughs> Why would they wait that long? He would have been dead by that point. Isn't it Theodore Roosevelt? Theodore Roosevelt? I don't even think that's a real person. <laughs> Well, she seemed pretty emphatic. But she's wrong. You're all wrong. Are you sure? Yes. This is basic, basic American history. Now, Matt, you could choose not to answer and walk away with $500,000. No, I'm pretty sure it's Teddy Roosevelt. I'm going to answer B, Theodore Roosevelt. Are you sure? <laughs> what? There's a lot of orphans counting on you, Matt. Are you sure you want this to be your final answer? I'm pretty sure. How confident are you? I'm pretty confident. I mean, I was more confident before I started asking everyone. It can't be Washington, right? I mean, there's no way I'm wrong about that one. Well, how confident are you? Well, it's just weird that everyone thinks it's him. And my sister teaches history for a living, so maybe. Would you like to use your final lifeline? Oh, yes, 50-50. Let's do it. All right, computers. Oh. This is not happening. It has to be Roosevelt. Now, you could choose not to answer, but if you guess wrong, you'll go only walk away from here with $32,000, and after taxes, that's more like $2,000. No, I gotta go for it. All right, well, a minute ago, it seemed that you had ruled out Washington completely. Yeah, but that was before your little light show and the music and everyone telling me I'm wrong. I don't know what I know anymore. No, no, it has to be Roosevelt. My answer is Roosevelt. Are you sure? Uh... 
think about the orphans, Matt. You are the devil, Regis. We need an answer. I gave you one, but you keep making me doubt myself. What is your final answer? D. George Washington. That's incorrect. I'm sorry. Uh. <laughs> now, that's a, that's a funny skit, but I also think it's, it's a powerful skit because I think it reminds us often of what we do to amazing educators every day in schools. We have these amazing educators who have great skills, great personalities, great passions, great abilities. And oftentimes people like me will walk in and say, oh, all you're doing is great. However, I want you to try something different. Think about something different. And you think, but no, I know what I know. I know what my kids need. I'm going to challenge you to hold on to your power. Hold on to what you know. We're not talking about replacing you as an educator. Our focus today, our conversation is how do we enhance what you currently do? How do we embrace what you know? What you know to know. You know what you know. So how do we focus on the focus? Now, of all the things I'm gonna share with you today, all of the ideas, here's something I want you to hold on to and hold on to tightly. It might offend you at first, but hopefully you'll understand the metaphor I'm about to paint. As an educator, as a teacher, you are a big, fat, hairy elephant. Now, listen, listen to the story I'm going to tell you before you get offended. I want you to embrace that you are an elephant. Now, my oldest son, back when he was really young, every single year for his birthday, I would take him to the circus. The circus used to come to town and we would go and we'd watch all of the, the trapeze artists and the, the lion tamer and the clowns. But he was always fascinated by elephants. They're how powerful they were, how strong they were, and how tame they were. It was always curious to me as a dad who we would always sit front row, how we would see these, these elephants that were ginormous. They were huge, so powerful, walking so calmly around the circus tent, never causing harm to anybody, extremely tame. So I was curious. I, I started thinking to myself and wondering to myself, how do we as humans get these elephants to this place where they're so tame, they're so calm, and they're so docile? And then I found it. I found the research that's heartbreaking, but also extremely powerful. So some of you may have heard the story before that when elephants are raised into captivity, the way that they are taught and trained to be tame and calm and docile is that as babies, as infant elephants, the, the trainer ties a six foot rope around their left front paw. On the other end of that rope is a stake. And the elephant, when it's born into captivity, lives its life believing that its whole world exists within this six foot radius. The rope is never removed. It's fed at the rope. It is bathed at the rope. It is trained at the rope. The elephant grows stronger. It grows bigger. It eventually grows into full maturity with the rope still attached. Eventually, somebody comes in and cuts the rope and says, okay, elephant, you're free. Let's go do our show. But the elephant continues to believe that its entire world is a six foot radius. It continues to believe that it can only stray so far. Former administrator here, former district and building administrator. I wanna apologize because I feel like at times, what we have done to you as educators is we treated you just like that elephant. We've said, you're powerful, you are destiny changers, you are life changers. You're here to change the trajectory of a child's life. You are so powerful, but we need you to stay within these safe confines. We need to hold you to our six foot rope, don't stray too far. And then 
I come in on a day like this and I cut your rope and say, now go be free, go change the world, go do all the things that we know that you can do. And you think, great, but I don't know how because I've lived my entire world on this six foot rope. I don't, I don't know how to embrace my power. I don't know how to embrace my strength because I've been tethered. Part of my goal today is to cut that rope for you. But part of my challenge today is to also help you see the world and help you figure out how to navigate that world, how to take your power, use it, harness it, and truly change the lives like you just signed up to be a teacher to do. So you are an elephant. You are powerful. You are strong. With that comes some possible destructive force or some life-changing force. So how do you do it? Well, let's focus real quick. I want you to just reflect. If we were live right now, we'd be having an interactive conversation. We'd be having a discussion. But I want you right now, pull out your phone and go into your notes app, pull out a sheet of paper and write these things down if you want to. But I want you to reflect real quick. This can be one of those weird, awkward silences for a second. But I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want you to truly write down your answers. The first question I have for you is what if you woke up five minutes before you had to leave for work this morning, Monday, Tuesday, whatever day you want to envision this? What if you woke up five minutes before you had to leave? What would you do in those five minutes? Write it down. What would your priorities be? Where would you focus your attention if you only had five minutes before you had to leave for work? Would you brush your teeth? Would you let your dog out? Would you give a kiss to your spouse? Would you grab a, a breakfast bar or protein bar? Would you cuss and start the coffee pot? What would you do if you only had five minutes? For some of you, this would ruin your entire day. For some of you, like me, you say, hey, it's no big deal. I, I don't have a whole lot of hair to worry about. I don't have to comb my hair. I drink coffee all day, so brushing my teeth, not really that important. Maybe you work in a middle school and you don't even have to shower because you're like, yeah, the kids won't be able to smell me anyway. <laughs> Regardless, what are the things that you would do if you only had five minutes? You got some things written down? Okay. How about this? What if you found out that this was your last year in education? What if you found out you only had four or five more months left to teach and to work? What would you do if this was your last year? What would you do? What would your focus be if this was it? You had four or five months to teach. You didn't have to worry about formal evaluations. You're done. You're, you're retiring. You're riding off into the sunset. What would you do? What would you focus your energies on? Write some things down. Where would your intentions be? What if today was your last day? What if this was it? What if, or let's just say Monday, Tuesday, your next day that you show up to work. What if that was your last day with your kids, with your coworkers, in your school? What if it was your last day? What would your priority be? Where would you focus your attentions? What would you do? Write some things down. Where would you focus your attention? And lastly, what if this school year, you were given the power to truly focus on the focus? You know, they say, they say that you can tell where somebody's priorities are based off of how they spend their money and how they spend their time. This year, four months, five months left. If somebody came to you and said, this year, you get to determine your priorities. You get to focus your energies. How would you spend your time? What would you do if this year you could truly focus on the focus? And teachers, educators, I'm going to caution you. You have this power right now. How do you determine where to focus your energies? 
where to focus your time and your resources. What do you do? Now, here's the good news. The good news is going back to that work of John Hattie that we talked about early on, we looked at all the effect sizes of things that work. Part of the research that we often skip over is this power of 95% principle that he talks about. The power of 95%. It's a powerful statistic. It's also an exciting statistic. What he tells us is that in all of his research on classrooms and in schools, teachers, you are amazing people. You're amazing people because the research is very clear. 95% of the decisions that you make, 95% of the things that you do in your classroom are good for kids. 95% of the things that you're doing in your classroom will not hurt kids. Now, this isn't going to be a speech or a platform for me to identify those 5% of things that, that we're doing that truly do harm kids. Save that for another day. But I want you to focus on the fact that 95% of the things that you're doing in your classroom are good. That's powerful. It means you're not screwing up kids. <laughs> it's amazing you're doing the right work. But something important to also recognize is that just because 95% of things are good doesn't mean all things are created equal. 95% of things are good, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're all equally as effective and equally as efficient. There are some things that we can do to be more effective and to be more efficient, to be better at what we do, to focus our intentions on those things that matter most, we'd have to identify our priorities. Now, in our world, in our schools, we're constantly bombarded with things that we need to focus on. We're talking we're talk about Bloom's taxonomy. We're told to focus on Webb's depth of knowledge, to focus on more rigor. We, are, we're, we look at uh, Piaget's developmental theories. We look at Maslow and the hierarchy of needs. We put it all together and we're supposed to be able to focus on meeting kids' social emotional needs, their academic needs, differentiated instruction, also having deep and rigorous conversations with kids to help them progress. And oftentimes we get overwhelmed. We say, I can't do it all. It's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. I wanna recognize this. And I want you to understand, I know, we know, teaching is hard. Teaching isn't for everybody. It does take effort. It does require focus. It does require intentional decision-making. It does require you to be very strategic. It requires you to prioritize and to handle what you can handle and focus on your focus. Today, we're talking about the infusion of technology. We're talking about how to take things that are new to us and novel to us and innovative to us and insert them into our current practice. One of the amazing things about St. Lucie's, you guys have this teacher evaluation process that is focused on standards aligned instructions, focused on best practices. It's focused on pedagogy that is research-based that we know has a positive impact on kids. What we're talking about is focusing our technology infusion into the areas that we've already identified as mattering most. Your teacher evaluation process already focuses on things like engagement, collaboration, student voice, uh, specific and timely feedback, providing equal access to all, teacher clarity, student clarity, all of these things that we are already focusing on. When we're looking at tech tools and we're looking at new uh, programs, new processes, let's focus on the things that enhance the things that we're already supposed to be focusing on. Prior to 2020, 2019, 2018, 2015, these were the things that we identified as being important. In 21, 22, and 2023, these are going to be the things that are still important. Simply because we're introduced to new technology tools doesn't mean that these get replaced. We don't change our focus. We don't change our priorities. These are still our intentional focuses. These are still our priorities. One of the things that we need to look at, one of the things we need to listen to when we're being presented with a new tool is how does this en enhance my current expectations? How does it en enhance 
what I'm already expected to do with kids. Technology is not designed to replace you. It is designed to enhance you. It's designed to take you as a person, as an educator, somebody with already amazing talents, amazing skills, amazing abilities. And it's designed to, to take your already strengths and supersize them. We don't use technology to cover up a weakness. We use technology to enhance a strength. We take technology and we use it to, to create a better version of what's already incredible in your classrooms. Technology should promote your passions. So before you try anything new, I want you to ask, why does this matter? And how does this enhance what I already do? If it doesn't enhance what you already do, set it to the side. If it doesn't take one of your current passions, one of your current assets, one of your current strengths and enhance it, set it to the side. It's not about replacing your deficits. It's enhancing who you are. You know, I, I'm fascinated by the, the statue of David as a Dave myself, created by Michelangelo. Some of you have heard the, the, the statement that Michelangelo made. It's been translated into multiple languages, but when asked how in the world he created such a magnificent statue from a single block of stone, Michelangelo made a powerful statement. He said, it's simple. All I did was chip away anything that didn't look like David. I love that. Again, as a David, my goal in my life is to just chip away things that don't make me David. Chip away all those things that don't make me me. I challenge you and I encourage you in your classrooms to do the same thing. Who are you? And how can you chip away all those things that don't enhance who you are? Eliminate those distractions. Focus in on your laser beam. Focus in on your gifts, your strengths, and your skill sets. So I ask you, who are you? Now, I mean, let me be extremely vulnerable and extremely real. About five years ago, I started talking to a counselor. I started seeking some help to, to give me some therapy and to give me some calm and to, to help me find my center and my balance. One of the hardest questions I've ever had to answer was asked to me of my therapist when she said, Dave, who are you? Who are you? Because Oftentimes, we identify ourselves with labels. I'm a teacher. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a hard worker. I'm a, but who are you? I ask you right now, who are you? What are your passions? What are some of the things that you like to do as a person? What are the things that bring you joy? What are your professional strengths? What are your gifts? What are the things that you can do, your unique skills? What are the things that you can do that others can't? that you can do in a way that, that truly makes you phenomenal, special, and unique? What are the things that you're curious about? What are the things you like to learn more about? At the end of your career, at the end of your life, what do you want to be known as? When somebody says your name, when somebody says, Dave Schmidto, he's he is blank. How do you want them to fill in those blanks? Who are you? Again, our goal today is we're talking about technology infusion, it's not technology replacement. It's taking technology, infusing it into who you are as a person and a professional to enhance who you are, to enhance what you do. So it's gonna cause you to reflect. It's gonna cause you to sit back and look at a, in a mirror in a very critical way and say, who am I? What are my strengths? Because truly the only difference between an effective teacher and a highly effective teacher 
is your ability to reflect. It's written into your rubric in a lot of different ways, using data to, to, uh, to inform your next steps, to inform your instruction, using what you know formatively to plan for the next steps. It's the same thing as reflecting, looking at what you do, what you are, and thinking, how can I make it better? So who are you? What do you do? And here's what I want you to do. Here's the secret recipe. When you are presented with new tech tools, when you're presented with new tricks, new pedagogies, new processes, I want you to take all of them through an open mind. And then I want you to score them. And I want you to rank them with the following rubric. This is a rubric I've introduced to schools and districts all across the country and has been an absolute game changer. Sometimes this is brought to full curriculum committees when they're developing new textbooks, when they're looking at new software, when they're looking at new devices, device deployment, it's used everywhere. I want you to do the same thing for your classroom, for your school, for your own well-being. When you're presented with a new tool, a new process, a new program, I want you to look at it through the lens of these four things. When you hear this tool, when you hear this, this program, I want you to give it a point if you think it's a tool that provides leverage. What is leverage? Meaning it's a tool that can be used in more than one fashion. Maybe it's presented to you as a way to increase feedback. Great. But can it also be utilized to increase student voice? Maybe it's a tool that's presented as the, the answer to your language arts classroom. Cool. Can it also be used in social studies? Can it also be used in science? It has leverage if it can be transferred in multiple directions beyond its one specific purpose. Give it a point if it has leverage. I want you to give it a point if it has endurance, meaning it's going to teach a skill set that should transcend beyond your classroom. Maybe it teaches collaboration. Maybe it teaches analysis. Maybe it teaches something that is complex and it's not just focused on third grade, but it's, if they learn this in third grade, it's going to help them in fifth grade. Maybe they learn this in seventh grade. It's going to help them when they're 25 years old. Give that a point if you think that the skill being taught provides endurance. I want you to give it a point if this is a, a, a tech tool that enhances your passions, the things that you already do, the things that you're already excited about. Maybe you love creating these dynamic classrooms that are full of engagement. You take virtual field trips with your kids and this is the thing that fires you up. Give it a point if it fills your passions. And then I want you to give it two points if it enhances one of your current strengths, one of your current abilities. Maybe you have a classroom that is extremely collaborative, where you have kids in small groups. Maybe you do the workshop style and you, and you bring students to your own desk and, and you have lots of curious conversations with the kids. It's already a gifting that you have. It's already an ability, a skill set you have. If the tech tool that you're hearing about enhances your abilities, enhances that unique skill that you already have, if it enhances your current abilities and practices, give it two points. Then I want you to total all of these up. At the end of the day, I want you to look at the tech tools that you've just heard about, look at the programs, look at the pedagogical uh, uh, processes that you've just been explored, ex it, it introduced to. And the ones with the most points are the ones you tackle first, because these are the ones that will enhance who you are. I want you to focus on your unique skills and say, this, this is where I start. And then you build. Don't look for the things that cover up weaknesses. Look for the things that build off of who you are. So in your time, in the next day, week, month, ask yourself these questions. What are your three greatest attributes as an educator? If you could share one teacher tip with others, what would it be? That's your skill. That's your uniqueness. If you could stop doing one thing in your career, what would it be? What's that thing that you want to chip away and chisel away from because it distracts from who you are? And ultimately, how can you use technology and innovation to build upon who you currently are? So reflect, ask yourself, who are you? 
What are your strengths? What are your passions? And how can technology help? Technology is not the only thing here to help. I'm here as well. I've got my phone number on the screen. Reach out, text me at any time, 734-377-3457. Or you can reach out to me on social media. Uh, you can slide into my DMs, if you will. Let me know your thoughts. Let me be a part of your journey, at Dave Schmidt. I'm so honored to be able to have been a part of this conversation today. I hope you got some value from this. I hope you'll benefit and I hope that you'll grow. I look forward to continuing our conversation, continuing our dialogue, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Lasting Learning. Interested in learning more? Feel free to check out one of my books, like Making Assessment Work, educators who hate data but love kids or old humility or it's like riding a bike how to make learning last a lifetime just visit schmidto.net for more information or feel free to check out amazon <laughs>